Welcome to a new edition of the Goshen News Sports Podcast. This is Goshen News Sports Editor Austin Huff. I can officially say that now. Uh, Sheila gives me a little clap in the background. Our producer, thank you very much. Um, yeah, if you want to come work for the Goshen News, uh, send an email to Roger Schneider, our managing editor, news editor, whatever his title is. He's an editor. He's above me, and he makes decisions about hiring and firing. So email him. Um, I believe his email is rschneider at goshennews.com. Everyone else has their full names as their emails, but Roger's, I think, got like hacked or something a couple years ago. Yep. Yep. Sheila's, you know, it's nodding in agreement. And so it's R. S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R at GoshenNews.com. There are two N's there. People, you know, get confused sometimes. Um, Yeah, you know, it's obviously been a really (laughs) interesting month for yours truly, Uh, uh, but I'm I'm, I'm excited to be in this new editor role, and I'm hoping we can bring someone in who's also very excited about covering local sports and you know, loves loves covering high school basketball on Friday nights and, you know, writing feature stories and kind of keeping up this really good local coverage that we've been able to produce. Uh, and, I'm, and like I said, I'm excited for the job. So, well, enough about me. Um, let's talk about some other stuff. But first off, I want to I want to throw a little tease out there for you. Once I get done wrapping up about all of this uh, local local fanfare we had over the weekend. We, we will have a very special interview that I did Monday morning with the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, Ben Wagner. He is a 1999 Fairfield High School graduate, uh, originally from New Paris, Indiana. He is an Indiana State graduate, and he has worked his way up to being the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. So that's just really cool. Uh, we had a very <laughs> extensive talk with Ben. Uh, interview went on more than an hour, so I, I don't envy Sheila for having to uh, edit that later today and make sure I didn't say anything stupid or he didn't say anything stupid. Um, but it was a really great conversation. We covered everything about Ben from his early days to, you know, uh, the trials and tribulations of trying to work his way up and, you know, getting to call uh, a postseason game while in a studio 2,000 miles away from where the actual game was happening because of COVID. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a really cool conversation with him. And I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. So uh, make sure to stick around before, you know, for the end of the, towards the end of the podcast to listen to that conversation with Ben. But let's kind of talk about some of the local stuff that happened this weekend. Uh, we had another busy weekend locally in the area. We had couple teams in regional volleyball action. We had semi-state cross country. We had sectional football. We had semi-state boys soccer. I mean, this is another great weekend if you're a a fan of local sports in the area. We'll kind of start at the top, I guess. Uh, We'll we'll try to do this in chronological order because there's a lot that happened (laughs) in like a 24-hour span. So we'll try to get, uh, we'll do it in chronological order starting from Friday night with football, sectional action. A couple interesting results. Uh, The game I was at Friday night, Leo defeated Northridge 14-7 in a sectional opener. Uh, Northridge led the game early, kind of controlled it for the most part, but Leo's uh, really (laughs) archaic offense of just run the ball three yards and every play and get it to the end zone uh, eventually wore Northridge down. Uh, There was a controversial personal foul, pass interference type of call. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what that was, uh, but when it gets Northridge, uh, the uh, Northridge coach Tom Wogelman was uh, not happy with that call after the game. Um, he he was pretty upset. But Leo wins. Northridge season comes to an end. They finish six and three. 
Uh, it was a good season for the Raiders. I don't know how many people thought they could win six games. Uh, they were, you know, they were like a team that coming in, for me at least, that I couldn't really gauge. They didn't know really what they were going to be. Uh, but they, I think they exceeded expectations. They had a really amazing defense all season. And uh, just, you know, tough game, tough playoff game. And it really felt like a sectional championship game or a regional game uh, between those two on Friday night. Those, those are the two best teams in the sectional coming in. Uh, you know, the blind draw just happened to fall to where they played in the first round. And, uh, you know, Leo gets a late touchdown and wins the game. And it just that's, that is what it is. So, uh, tough, tough way for the Raiders to go out. Um, but, you know, good season for them. And they have some stuff to build off of, you know, going into next season. So, uh, so uh, staying in that same sectional, uh, Northwood beat Wallacee 20-7. to uh, Ethan Evers, couple touchdown runs for the Panthers. Uh, they were a little shorthanded because of COVID quarantine contact tracing. They actually were down 14 players, I read, um, which is a lot, obviously, when you only have about 50 players on the roster. Uh, but the Panthers were still able to kind of rally in the troops and, and get the win. They will now go to Leo on Friday night in the sectional 19 semifinal game. Uh, the other half of that bracket, I believe, is East Noble facing uh, DeKalb. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but it's East Noble for sure. East Noble is definitely one of the other teams on the other side. So uh, Northwood at Leo should be an interesting game. Um, it's a little bit of a drive. You know, Leo is kind of near Fort Wayne. So if you're going out there, safe travels. Um, Panthers, you know, play similar style to the, as the Northridge does with a defensive mindset and run the ball. And, you know, it looks like Northwood is finally, you know, if they get some of these guys out of quarantine – you know, they are healthy now. Nate Newcomer is back playing for them. Caden Lone uh, back as well. So hopefully maybe Northwood could could pull together and, and beat Leo. You know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. You know, I, I, I saw Leo firsthand and, you know, Leo plays a physical style of play and their defense is really good. But to me, they if you put 14, 17 points on them, you know, Northwood could have a chance, so I, I'm not going to outright guarantee anything here, but I think Northwood could hang in there uh, and give them some fits. So should be an interesting game out there on Friday night. So uh, shifting down to sectional uh, 25 in class or sectional 26, excuse me, in class 3A, uh, West Noble got a win. Uh, <laughs> was a little surprised by that score. They beat John Glenn 14-0. Uh, West Noble graduate Sheila Selman in the studio, very happy about that result. Uh, the Chargers started this year 0-8. You know, they obviously lost a lot of players from last year, and we, we've talked about that before on here, just all the, the, the talent they lost. And, you know, they, <laughs> you know, it looked like destined to be another long season in Ligonier. And, you know, they got a win in the last week against Prairie Heights, who, you know, isn't that good either. Prairie Heights was 0-9 in the regular season. Uh, and then they turn up the defense, man, held John Glenn to 87 yards of total offense in the game. Like, that's really unheard of. And and West Noble did not start one senior on defense on Friday. Like, that really is impressive to do that. You know, a bunch of juniors, sophomores, freshmen playing, and to hold your opponent to zero points in a playoff game, that's really impressive. So, West Noble's reward is they get to go to Jimtown on Friday night and play the Jimmies uh, in the sectional semifinal. Jimtown beat Garrett uh, 26-3 on the road. Uh, so Jimtown will host that game. And, I mean, with the way West Noble's playing the last couple weeks, I mean, who knows? They haven't given up a point in the last two weeks, so maybe they, 
they have found something on defense and can control the game and uh you know but really nice win for West Oval and you know, even if they lose on Friday, that's a that's a playoff win you can build off of, you know, with the younger talent being like, hey, like, look, look what happens when we put it all together. You know, most of this Charger team will be coming back next year. So you, you got to think that this is at least a confidence boost at a minimum to be like, hey, when we actually play at our best, we can win games like we can, you know, shut out two opponents in a row. So, uh, yeah, that one actually surprised me a little bit. Um you know, because John Glenn came into the game at four and five, and wasn't like Glenn was his powerhouse team, but West Noble hadn't shown us anything really all season. <laughs> Just being you know objective here, uh, but kudos to the Chargers, kudos to Monty Mayhorter getting his kids ready to go and and winning a playoff game. So you know they're probably playing with house money against Jimtown this weekend, and I, I'm kind of excited to see if they if they could uh, maybe pull off another upset and get to a sectional final. That'd be crazy. Uh, you know, everyone's playing to to lose to Mishawaka Marion in that sectional anyway. So, I mean, you might as well go to the final and lose to them straight up. So, it's, uh, you know, Marion's really good. They beat Lakeland in that sectional on the, on the other half of the bracket on Friday night. They're the number three team in the class or number two in 3A. Like, look, it, it's 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 nice. It's a nice story for West Noble. And if Jimtown goes to, that's cool. But I don't think anyone's stopping Marion in 3A, at least in the northern half of the state. So, um you know, but it's a nice win for West Double, so we'll give them that, you know, yay, uh, so, and uh, in Class 2, Sectional 35, Fairfield with another victory, they beat Central Noble for the second time this year, this one 38-12, you know, once again, that Falcon rushing offense, just unbelievable, more than 300 yards on the ground, uh, Corey Lance, the quarterback, four rushing touchdowns, Jonathan Estep, who's like the backup fullback, had 130 plus yards rushing, he had a great game, uh, this is a team now that they, they get to go play Bishop Lures, <laughs> who has kind of haunted them in the past. Uh, it's looking very similar to 2008 when, uh, in 2008, Fairfield went undefeated in the regular season, just like they did this year, won the first game in the playoffs, just like they did this year, and then they played Bishop Lures and lost. And it's just like, you know there's enough old Fairfield fans in the area that are like haunted by that, almost of like, oh my gosh, now we got to play Lures, you know? But luckily for the Falcons, the the uh, Lures comes to Benton on Friday night. In 2008, Fairfield had to go to Fort Wayne and play them and lost 44-14. to So, you know, Fairfield gets to host them on Friday night. And, you know, none of the players were probably, you know, on this team were, you know, they were six or seven years old when that game happened. It wasn't like they were on the field and lost that game. But, you know, I it's going to be really interesting because, you know, for me, like that's going to be my narrative this week, just being honest with it. Like, yeah, it's just, this, is the, this is the team that has ended your season a couple times in the past when you've had really good seasons. And it's that, you know, those dang lures coming in, you know, Bishop Lures, here they come, right? Like, uh, coming in town, so... It's going to be an interesting game. I'm going to be out there Friday night. I'm really interested uh, in the, seeing how Fairfield does. I, I love this Fairfield team. Uh, you know, the way they play, The we've talked about it before on here, just the resurgence of this program to go from 0-8 two seasons ago to 8-0 in the regular season this year and winning by an average of, you know, 25 points a game. It's really amazing. And, you know, all of me wants them to play East Side for the sectional championship again, have a rematch of those two teams to have Fairfield at full strength too, they were not without they were without Lance last year in that sectional championship game. So Fairfield at full strength with a whole other year of experience against Mighty Eastside, who's ranked third, and you know Fairfield's ranked seventh. So like 
that is the matchup that we all want. And, you know, you just got to hope that Fairfield can get past Lures and and set that up because we know East, Eastside's playing Prairie Heights. I don't know how Prairie Heights won a playoff game, but they did. And Eastside's going to probably, you know, put 70 on them. Mark my words for that. Uh, 70 nothing. I'm going, I'm going Eastside over Prairie Heights. And, you know, Fairfield Lures, I don't know. I, I got to look at more in the Lures before I make a prediction on that. Their, their record says they're four and six, but they play all the big schools in Fort Wayne, so it, their record is always going to be a little misleading. Uh, and if their record was seven and two, they'd be the number one team in the class probably because uh, just what the schedule they play. So, uh, yeah, so next, next, or this Friday, not next Friday, this Friday, we do have a couple more teams making their playoff debuts. Uh, Goshen hosts Mishawaka in the Class 5 Sectional 10 semifinal. And the other semifinal in that bracket is Concord hosting South Bend Adams. So, you know, I don't know how it's going to go for the Red Hawks on Friday night. It might not be pretty. Uh, Mishawaka is, has won five in a row, and they are playing like a team that is, you know, traditionally one of the strongest programs in the state, or at least in the area. Um, so uh, it's going to be tough sledding for the Red Hawks, uh, but hey, postseason, you never know. West Noble won a game, uh, so uh, you never know. I mean, it, it, it's it, you get to this time of the year, and, and it, things happen, so it, it, it can be interesting. So, uh, And I think, you know, Concord and South Bend Adams, you know, the Minutemen have been up and down this year. They're 4-4 they're four and four going into this game, uh, but South Bend Adams hasn't been that strong either. They're 4-5, and five, but their wins were all early against teams that maybe weren't as good. Excuse me. And um, – I just think that uh, it should be Concord and Mishawaka winning on Friday. It should. Uh, crazier things have happened. Uh, but that's where I, I, I would think is going to go happen there. So we got we got five, six area games. Elkhart also starts. They're at Portage on Friday night. So uh, we, we have about five, six area teams left here, uh, left in the postseason. And, you know, <laughs> this could be a week. It's a really interesting week on paper, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if all the teams lost, which would be really sad. Um, but if they all, you know, if three or four of them won, that wouldn't surprise me either. So it's going to be a really interesting week, I think, uh, on the football front. So let's move to Saturday. That was a really long Friday. Uh, I didn't expect that to go that long. Uh, <laughs> Saturday, we had uh, regional volleyball. We'll start with the regional volleyballs first. Uh, Northwood played in the morning and fell to Belmont in the 3A regional. Uh, and... You know, Belmont, number one team in the class. Northwood was uh, had a good season, too. They were ranked ninth going into this. But I watched that game online, and Belmont was just too much, man. They had a lot of power uh, from their outside hitters. They served really well. Uh, you know, Hillary Ladig, Northwood's coach, told me beforehand going into this regional that they would have to serve well to win. And Northwood had a couple service errors in the first set that really derailed any momentum they had, could have built. Uh, it just felt like every time Northwood would get maybe one or two points in a row, Belmont was right there to get five. You know, it just it was tough sledding for the Panthers, but they finished their season twenty six and eight, sectional champs. Uh, after last year, where they lost, you know, pretty much all of their offense in Maddie Payne and and Kate Ruley to still come back to navigate COVID quarantining of your three of your best players near the end of the season and still win a sectional like that's really impressive. Uh, so, you know. It's a really impressive, you know, season. Like I said, for the Panthers, uh, tough ending. Obviously, it's never fun to lose in the in the regional, but you know, only one team can win state every year in, in each class. So it's tough, tough way to go out. But I think all in all, like, lot to be proud of if you're a Northwood volleyball fan. Um, Northwood boys soccer played 
Uh, I'll get to Fairfield Volleyball. Don't worry. They're, we're going we're gonna to save the good stuff for the end here. Uh, Northwood Boys Soccer then played semi-state uh, against Fort Wayne Canterbury Saturday. I was out there at South Bend St. Joseph High School. Um, tough, tough loss for the Panthers, man. Uh, Canterbury plays a very defensive style, and, and uh, Northwood's coach Brad Dirksen joked after the game that they were probably playing for penalty kicks as soon as the game started, basically. That's when Canterbury wanted to go to PKs. And it got to PKs, and Northwood was up 2-1 uh, initially, but uh, three straight misses by the Panthers. One off the crossbar, which was just devastating. It looked like it was going to be in. Hits the crossbar, barely, and bounces down and out. Um, and then two saves by the Canterbury goalie. Uh, you know, he's exceptional. He's one of the best goalies in the state, and made two big stops, including on Andre DeFridis, who's Northwood's all-time leading scorer. Like, nothing you can really do in that sense. And, and Canterbury, you know, puts their two in, wins the PKs 3-2. Canterbury's going on to play in the state championship. Northwood's season ends. They were 15-4-3. First time they ever won a regional championship. You know, this was the best team in program history. Dirksen has been the coach there 24-26 the seasons. Uh and nothing to be ashamed of with that effort on Saturday. They had a couple chances to score during the game, and, and Canterbury did too, so it wasn't like Northwood dominated and just lost in PKs. Both teams could have easily been a 2-2 game or you know 3-2 game, something like that. Um, just an awesome season for Northwood, man. This is obviously unexpected, uh, you know, to, to go all the way. And, you know, they had 11 seniors on the roster, so this was kind of a grand... Hoorah for them. They won the sectional first time since 2014. Won a regional first time ever. Uh, plays, you know, down to literally the last second of, you know, of this game against Canterbury, who's, you know, the most historic boys soccer program in the state. You know, this was this was really like a tale of, you know, David and Goliath in the sense of program history. Um, so, Great season for Northwood. Nothing to be ashamed of, like I said. Uh, Brad Dirksen's a great guy, great coach. Um, the players they had this year were fantastic. Uh, you know, they fall one game short of going to the state final. Like, that's that's pretty remarkable, all things considered. You know, they were they were really good and, you know, nothing, like I said, nothing to be ashamed of. Really great season for them. Uh, and then Saturday night, got to get to it, Fairfield Volleyball uh, won the regional championship. They defeated Andrain in the semifinal during the day, 3-1, and then they beat Rochester 3-0 in the final at night. Uh, second straight regional championship for the Falcons. They are now going into the semi-state where they play Wapahani again, which they played in the semi-state last year. They're playing Wapahani at 4 p.m. Saturday at Huntington North High School. Uh, this is a Fairfield team, too, that has navigated COVID concerns through this season. They were shut down kind of for like a couple days in the early of the season and then they got out of quarantine because it was a false false alarm basically um and so they've you know they their record is 20 and 14 but they're definitely definitely not playing like a 20 and 14 team right now uh their results have shown it here in the in the sectionals and the regionals uh you know but they're in the same spot they were in last year they're playing Wapahani and Wapahani beat them 3-0 last year and you know, I, talking to Brittany Hirschberger, the coach, last week, they she preached how mental toughness has been something they have preached all season. They've read a book about mental toughness and being mentally prepared for games and situations like this. So, you know, this is the week where it really shows, right? This is a, this is a team last year that 
was in this same spot and they lost 3-0 to the same team. Like it's deja vu all over again, right? Uh, so you got to think that, you know, hopefully that they, maybe the mental toughness aspect comes into play here. And who knows? You know, it, it, you know when you get to the semi-state, you never know. So uh, I'll be there on Saturday. I'm excited to see it. Uh, you know, chance to play for the chance to go to the state championship on the line. That's really exciting. You know, it's going to be exciting for them. And and uh, I'll be out there talking to them later this week, getting you know a little little semi-state preview. See how Wapahani is. You know, 28 and five is what Wapahani's record is. Also, this is the most times I've ever said Wapahani in a row. So I this is very fun. Uh, it's a fun school to say. Um, one last local thing here before we get to uh, the interview with Ben Wagner. Uh, obviously. Uh, if you've been uh, keeping track with the Goshen News uh, online yesterday, on Monday, uh, you saw the news of Mark Hofer, the Fairfield Athletic Director. Um, while he was listening to the volleyball games on Saturday night, uh, he had complications uh, from a positive COVID test, and he got sent to the hospital, uh, transferred to Elkhart General into the ICU. Uh, he's doing good, thank God. Um, but doctors feared that he had a heart attack on Saturday, Saturday morning, and he stayed home, listened to the Fairfield volleyball games. He's like, I'm stubborn. <laughs> like, yeah, he didn't know he had a heart attack in the morning, obviously. But, um, and, uh, and then he went to the hospital and he, maybe the scariest thing I saw him say is that, you know, they, the doctors told him that if his wife hadn't called 911 and gotten him to the hospital, that he could have died. Like, that is scary. Like, that is really, really terrifying. Um, uh, Mark got uh, tested positive for COVID about two weeks ago. He'd been in quarantine all month because he was a close contact, but it was weird. He said he didn't really show any symptoms for the first week or so, and then he started developing fevers and got tested, you know, came back positive was in isolation and taking Tylenol and he seemed like it was doing fine. And then Saturday, just everything, obviously just, you know, scary stuff obviously happened Saturday where he, you know, almost died, you know, potentially. And he, you know, he said his, his wife is an angel uh, Joyce. They just celebrated their 25th anniversary, uh, recently, a couple months ago, I think. So, uh, scary situation and and I'm I like to you know thank Mark for talking to me he was in the hospital talking to me on the phone you know he's like yeah I couldn't call you back earlier because I didn't answer your phone initially because my hand was too swollen like they're injecting an IV thing into my hand and I I got so much pain I couldn't answer it it's like you didn't have to call back like I would have totally understood you know like he's, he's going you know he's fighting for his life on Saturday night you know and Luckily, he's doing fine. Not like fine, all things considered. He's he had a blood clot near his lungs, so that's why he had a. That's why the doctors think he had a heart attack. Um, so they got him on blood thinners. Uh, he's hoping to be out of the hospital by the end of this week. He told me, and you know he's not going to be back to work for a while, obviously. And you know we kind of saw this. Uh, unfortunately, we saw this in the early spring uh, with West Obel's athletic director Tom Skimmerhorn, where. You know, luckily, luckily Mark didn't have to go to a ventilator, but Tom did. And he almost, you know, it was close. Like it was really close, but Tom was able to kind of, Tom was obviously able to get back and and recover. And, you know, thank God he's still with us today. Um, You know, he was in the hospital for a couple weeks and, you know, luckily in a sense, Tom didn't have to go back to work until July. (laughs) So he, you know, had time to recover, but uh, Mark will be taking some time off of work, obviously, uh, and, 
you know, you know, we, we wish for the best for him, of course, and, you know, wish him for a speedy recovery. And, you know, he's, he's a good guy. He's one of the good guys. And most people are good guys in the area. You're not going to hear me come up here and say, oh, this guy's bad. You know, like they're all, they're all pretty good guys, but Mark is really good. He's awesome. Um, you know, been easy to work with, you know, very opening, open to me in my time so far here. Um, so again, uh, speed recovery, you know, you're in our thoughts and prayers, uh, Mark. And, uh, you know, we, we hope to see you at a basketball game sometime this winter, hopefully, you know, January, February, we can get out there and see you at a basketball game. So, um, yeah. So, all right. Well, we just talked about Fairfield for the last five minutes. Let's throw it to our interview with Fairfield graduate, Ben Wagner. Really fun top uh, conversation, I thought. So here it is, me and Ben Wagner. Oh, and uh, sorry, uh, to, I didn't mean to offend any cross-country fans out there. I did forget we had semi-state cross-country on Saturday, and the Goshen Redhawk boys are going to state. That was big news from Saturday early afternoon. I, I apologize for going out of chronological order. I, I threw myself off by going from volleyball to soccer to volleyball to trying to go to Ben Wagner's interview because that's really long, and I know people want to get to that. And But, yes, we had cross-country on Saturday at New Haven, Huntington University, uh, and sure, lo and behold, we got the Goshen boys. They finished fifth place. Top six teams make it to state uh, from the semi-state, so congratulations to Goshen for qualifying. We also had a couple other individuals qualify. Uh, Northridge had a boy, Jackson Miller, and a girl, Haley Heil, qualify individually for state. Uh, Northwood's uh, senior or uh, junior girl, Caitlin Burden, also qualified. And two kids from Westview, Remington and Spencer Carpenter. I believe they are twin brothers. They are both seniors. They've been running in the program forever. They both qualified for state as well. So congratulations to all those going down to state. It's in Terre Haute on Saturday. The girls run at 11.30 a.m., and the boys run at 3 p.m. Now, this is, this is different from most years. They are trying to do them more spaced out, so that way they can run the girls' race, do the results, clear everybody out, and then bring people in for the boys' race. So if you're going down to Terre Haute and you want to see both races, uh, find somewhere to go get lunch, you know, in between the two. It's not going to be back-to-back like it is in no, more normal years. You know, this has obviously been nothing. <laughs> this has been nothing close to a normal year. So this is they're just trying to do their best for COVID reasons um, to space them out like that. So uh, good luck to everyone running down there. I believe we will have photos coming from there. I'll, I'll still call, call the uh, Mike Wynn, the Goshen coach, afterwards and, and talk to him about it. We'll also have some preview stuff coming in this week's paper for that as well, or this yeah this week online and then the paper. Uh, but good luck to Goshen. Good luck to all the individuals running at state. Uh, it's very exciting, obviously, and uh, you know who knows how they'll perform. You know uh, the Redhawks—they're a young team still. They, they're going to have most of them back next year, so next year they could actually be really, really good. Um, but this year, you know, it's a great experience for these kids, obviously. So, okay, now we will go to the interview with Ben Wagner, Fairfield graduate. Here we go. And now I am joined by 1999 Fairfield graduate from New Paris, Indiana, the current voice, radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. Ben Wagner joins the podcast. Ben, how are you doing today? Uh, no complaints, honestly. <laughs> um, although I am, I'm still shuddering when you reference 1999 and now <laughs> piecemeal that back over two decades since I walked out of Fairfield High School. 
Uh, you Whoa. know, you're you're uh, what are you? Forty years old now? Is that uh, is that official? Or are you still thirty nine? Thanks, thanks. Yeah, Austin, <laughs> you're turning me into your personal punching bag. Thank you so much. Um, I did take a step into the next decade this past summer when I celebrated a fortieth birthday as well. So. Well. Uh, <laughs> happy, it's happy, been quite the year. Happy belated birthday! Um, and oh, uh, you, you, you are now officially a man, according to Mike Gundy. Um, so congratulations to that as well. Um, so yeah, uh, it's pretty cool to have you on here. You know, this is I think the first time we've ever had a professional baseball broadcaster on the Goshen News Sports Podcast. So congratulations on uh, being the first, the inaugural. Uh, guest in that in that regard so well yeah you're more than welcome i anticipate the uh, certificate in the mail uh, yeah that's awesome we'll yeah. get it to you sometime in the next three to five business years um so well ben i'd like to kind of maybe uh start with my first question i actually wrote this down i wanted to make sure i asked this properly because uh it was a kind of a, a intertwining loaded question so here we go are you ready for this Mm-hmm. So, if I had told you 21 years ago, when you graduated from Fairfield High School, that you'd be calling a postseason baseball game for a team while they played 2,000-plus miles away, and you call the game on the monitors in a studio while maintaining at least six feet of social distance from your color commentator, would you believe me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a definitive no, and no chance. Uh, which which part of that equation sounds the most improbable to you? <laughs> Uh, being being told to be six feet away from any person, uh, <laughs> if, if anybody knows me, I'm you know I'm a usually a high energy guy. I uh, you know I'm I'm never one to to stop a handshake, give a hug, uh, fist pound, anything like that. You know I just I feel like I'm a pretty personable person. Um, so first and foremost, you know to remove any human interaction from my life is is jarring <laughs> in its own right. Plus then the fact that. You go back to 1999, and I had already had some wonderful experiences back home and working in, in radio and getting to cover local sports and uh, had a couple of people really believe in me. Even before I left high school uh, and set out on this journey of broadcasting whatever uh, that was going to look like in the, in the next three to four years, um, I, I would have I been stunned if you said Major League Baseball was going to be a part of it, even though Major League Baseball was such a such a big part of my life growing up. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I could have even believed that then. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's, let's kind of, we'll circle back to the, how we got to the end of that question with the 2000 plus miles and social distancing and stuff like that. But uh, let's, let's maybe bring it back to the beginning. You kind of mentioned that at there and you, you, you got some experience in high school uh, working at WAWC uh, 103.5 in Syracuse. Um, I guess, when did you kind of know you wanted to do this for a career, and uh, how exciting was it that you got experience doing it, you know, when you were 16, 17 years old? You know what, I, um, even before I got an opportunity to work at Wallace 103, as it was known then, Wallace 103, mm-hmm. and um, I, I was really fortunate where I, I was allowed to be so creative and so expressive growing up. And when I was a young kid, I, I wanted to be everything from, um, you know, somebody working for Burger Dairy, picking up milk like my uncle was doing, <laughs> to being a farmer, to being a doctor. Whatever, whatever the influence was of that current day, I think, is what I wanted to aspire to be in life. And like my mind, my, and I credit my mom and dad for allowing me, you know, to be so creative and expressive and uh, try, try different things, you know, playing with toys growing up and, you know, just, you know, letting my imagination run wild. 
And part of that, then that imagination aspect of it is when I fell in love with sports on the radio, when we moved out of new Paris and my dad built a house in the woods and, um, <laughs> we couldn't get cable there. I mean, I'm going back to, you know, the early, uh, we moved into the house in 1988, uh, originally, you know, we couldn't get cable. So we didn't <laughs> see all of the Indiana basketball games, but I found Indiana basketball on the radio and Don Fisher to this day probably has the greatest impact in my broadcasting career than anybody has, um, you know, just for my love of sports on radio. And when I found that as an eight and a nine year old, and he was talking about, um, you know, the, the teams that I really, really grew to love was Calvert Chaney, Alan Henderson, Damon Bailey, and those, those <laughs> that, that 89 to 92, 93 window with the Hoosiers. I just could not understand how Don Fisher knew every three that went off the fingertips of Calvert Chaney was going to hit the bottom of the net. And then the crowd explodes <laughs> behind him. And, you know, it's that it's still the most iconic voice, the most recognizable voice in our state. And it just struck a chord with me of just how incredible, not only his game calling was to me and is still to this day, um, <laughs> but, but also just the, the theater of the mind that goes along with it. You know, he was, and that, that really struck a chord really, really early on. So, um, you know, as an eight, nine, 10 year old, where you're just, you're falling in love with every, everything about that. Uh, I love the teams. I love the Hoosiers. I love basketball. I love obviously then in the summer playing baseball and being around baseball, watching baseball. Um, then uh, I started to do these odd, odd and end summer jobs and I found baseball on the radio in the Haymow <laughs> to help pass, pass the time. So uh, what, I'm, what I'm getting at to answer your question is I was really fortunate to fall in love with sports on radio very, very early. And I thought, man, if I could be part of this somehow, some way, and that really started to sink in with me 13 or 14 years of age. Um, and, and then, you know, I was probably 16 at the time that I hammered out this cover letter and a resume and I, <laughs> Uh, you know, with the help of my mom, you know, we put this stuff together and we uh, trotted it out to Huawei C103 and I left it. I left it with Bill Dixon and just by happenstance, the sports director at the station and he now works at Goshen College is Jason Samuel. And Jason Samuel saw my resume and saw Fairfield on it and asked Bill, what is this? And he goes, oh, that kid <laughs> dropped it off, you know, to, to get his foot in the door. And I can tell you, I remember the day I was, <clears throat> I was a sophomore, a sophomore at Fairfield, and Jason Samuel called Fairfield High School. He said, I'd like to get a note to Ben Wagner. Please give him my number. He can call me at this number. And I remember I had that pink slip uh, that came from the the office <laughs> at Fairfield High School was passed along to me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, he, somebody found, you know, my resume. And that was really <laughs> the start of it. That was really the start of it, not only for um, me and Jason and, I guess, the first step into a professional career, but it was, also, it was also my first opportunity to get a break, I guess. And then <laughs> there was no looking back for me. There was absolutely no looking back for me after that moment. That was it. That was it for you. So uh, what did you get to do down there at WAWC or Wawa C103 when, it was, when you were there? Not to you know, date you again, but it's, you know, the name has changed uh, <laughs> since you were there. So what, yeah. Yeah, what all did you get to do down there? Oh, I, you know what? Again, I, I, I give credit to 
uh, Jason Samuel and Kathy Johnston and Tom Bug and Bill Dixon, who, who was there, and even Todd Lucas, who was the morning guy uh, at the time, you know, they allowed me to do a lot of everything. Uh, and they were also teachers. You know, they were teaching me along the way. I had no, you know, studio experience whatsoever. So I was loading commercials in. I was checking emails, responding to this, responding to that. Um, loading liners into format and, you know, computer automation was just kind of bursting onto the scene mm-hmm. for a lot of radio stations at that time. And uh, so I was learning a lot about that in digital editing versus the reel to reel. I was loading in spots. I remember Penguin Point would have <laughs> ads on reel to reel and we'd have to dump in, you know, the, the local tag on, on the donut. <laughs> You know, so I was I was pressing play on the reel to reel machine. I can just like reach back to this day and remember the layout of the studio. <laughs> um, I mean, I, this is such an ingrained part of my life. So I would reach back with my left hand and I would hit play, and I'd listen to the jingle come down, and then I would hit play on the computer by hitting the space bar and try to sync up. You know, the local tag, dump it in the donut, the Penguin Point ad, while I'm, we're recording it on another piece of software to make it all, you know, jump into the system. Uh, cool Wave was the system at the time. <laughs> so, I, you know, I did everything. Trash cans uh, in the summertime. I got to go out on remotes, whether it was at a car dealership, whether it was we were going to the sandbar on Lake Wallace. <laughs> um, we were, you know, we were going everywhere. And they were just letting this 16, 17-year-old kid come along and a little by a little, I got to do more. You know, I was recording then the Penguin Point local ads. Mm-hmm. I did a, uh, I started to do, I can't remember all the, the actual ads that I got a chance to cut. Um, but there were, there were some local sponsors, you know, that they would just, for different voices, they wanted to have in, in the ad rotators. You know, they let me cut a couple of spots. And um, you know, that led to then cutting liners for overnights and then the evening show. And then I started to work the board as, and this is probably a big step in my, my broadcast career too, because I had to have an understanding of what happened behind the scenes and everybody there recognized that. And you're always going to wear a lot of hats when you work in small market or in minor league baseball, which I have a massive career in that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it taught me about being versatile, being flexible and, and having an opportunity then to do Anything that was at your at your doorstep, pick it up and see you know if you can do it and, and accomplish it. So um, all that stuff you know just led to bigger and better opportunities. And um, my I think my junior and senior year, I was in part of a program where I would work in the afternoons at the radio station, and that that led to my first play-by-play opportunity. You know, after mm-hmm. tagging around with Jason for 18 <laughs> months or something like that, and you know, again, it was a learning. It was a learning experience because he had me set up the equipment. He had me, you know, go under the bleachers at, at these high schools and and run the phone line off the back of the wall <laughs> up to our broadcast location, you know. And, and he made me do all that, so I had a better understanding where, um, y- you know, it just doesn't magically appear. You know, when you walk into a gym or uh, a high school press box and call a football game, you know, there's a lot of legwork that has to happen ahead of that and that that experience really really uh gave me a better understanding of how things should operate when i went to college and then obviously college to uh to 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 minor league baseball first and foremost but other things along the way too right yeah so you went to indiana state you're sycamore uh graduated 2003 i believe is that correct 
Indeed. It, my yeah. timeline lines up. So that was in May of 2003, and, and then you started your professional baseball journey in minor leagues uh, with the Lakewood Blue Claws. Is that correct, or was there something in between there? No. You know what? Um, I left campus and went to the baseball winter meetings in December of 2003 mm-hmm. with um, armed with a resume and a reel again and hoping somebody pulled the right disc out of the box. <laughs> um, and this, and this is... Um, you know, this this is a credit to networking and other things, and just trying to use as many resources as you can. Uh, there was a there was a person named David Wilson, who was from Pendleton Heights, and he had gone through the baseball winter meeting, then getting into minor league baseball. That that step about ten years before I did, and Dave Sabini, who is the student director of the radio station at ISU, and allowed me to do so many things, and I'm forever grateful for him and the experience of that student radio station too. But, um, you know, he said, call David Wilson because he went to the winter meetings and got a job. And I called David Wilson, and he said, why do you want to do this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I said, well, I've I've got no backup plan at this point, and I'm really bad at math. So this is it. We're pushing all the chips into the middle of the table here. And, uh, you know, he said, good luck and take, you know, 10 resumes. Don't take 50 because there's not going to be that many jobs. But he also said there's a handful of jobs to look out and find that traditionally will bring seasonal broadcast employment and the New York Penn League and, um, you know, the, the league out west and the northwest and like Billings, Montana and Vancouver with the Canadians. There's these short season baseball leagues that would bring in. Guys like me, you know, 22, 23 years of age, looking to get their first step of professional baseball experience under their belt. And um, uh, and he said, look at this job, too. And it was Lakewood. And Neil Solance was the broadcaster at the time. So I fired off a CD ahead of time. And Neil called me and he said, hey, I want to set up an interview with you when you get to New Orleans. And, um, yeah, I thought that's incredible. So I had an <laughs> opportunity to interview with him and, and had that already kind of in my back pocket when I went to New Orleans and and again you you know because you you dive in and you and you try to create opportunities for yourself and that's what I did with the three years uh four years on the air at Indiana State um and I was really fortunate you know the women's basketball program was really good the men's basketball program at that time was really good went to two NCAA tournaments right Uh, the Missouri Valley Conference was really exciting at that time yeah Oh yeah. Then it was Southwest Missouri State, and then you had Southern Illinois, and mm-hmm. you had Creighton, obviously, and uh, on the fringes of that, Northern Iowa was just starting to emerge. And Evansville, uh, I think the year before I got to campus, you know, not only went to the tournament but had a major upset uh, in the NCAA tournament. So you know, it was really competitive basketball, and I again, I loved college basketball, and I loved the reps of being on radio and the excitement that, that allowed, and it just. You know, it felt big. It, it really did. And the Holman Center was a great place to call a game. And then in the spring, I wanted to do softball and baseball as well. And I just fell in love with it. And at Indiana State, like a lot of colleges, guess what? You know, the middle of May comes, finals are done. Everybody packs their suitcase and they go back home. And mm-hmm. I looked at the baseball schedule. And at that time, I was the sports director. I'm like, well, okay, that's cool. And going home sounds really nice, but there's 25 more games to broadcast. <laughs> right. And I thought, well, okay, now how are we going to get past this and staff it? And I said, well, I just, I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I figured out how to live um, in Terre Haute. 
and then added 25 games that first summer uh, to, to my experience, you know. I, and, and when you start to hear from administrators, you start to hear from, you know, it's a small audience, right? Uh, right. It's moms dads, it's wives. Well, not in college. Not that hey, you never know. Case, but you never and, know. And girlfriends, right? Yeah. Right. But, you know, you, you've got coaches and, and their wives that are tuning in. Oh, we heard the broadcast, you know, great call and things like that. But, you know, that was, that was a pat on the back. It's a little bit of an encouragement to, to one, tell you that people do listen. And that is always <laughs> up in question sometimes. Uh, but, you know, it gives you confidence in what you're doing. And mm-hmm. And there are influences along the way that, you know, can do that. And you can send out tapes and resumes for constructive criticism. And, uh, but, the, the, you know, the turning point, I think it was my uh, sophomore into junior year, where I called a ton of baseball games. And we went on a two-week road trip, and it included going to Iowa and then straight down to uh, Wichita, Kansas, where the conference tournament was. That two-week window there made me fall in love with being around baseball, even more so than than really tracking the – the perils of a college basketball season, you know, where, where basketball and football are these ramp ups, you know, you've got days in between and you ramp up mm-hmm. to the broadcast or, you know, the game itself with the baseball side of things, it's every day. And we were playing, you know, four game series and there were double headers and there was a travel day. And then you get in and you play a three game series and then you go to the tournament. Um, you're around the coaches. You see the ebbs and flows of a season, uh, the successes for a given series with these guys. So, that that made me fall in love with baseball and, and made the driving force about this winter meetings thing think that I could really do this and I would really enjoy doing this. And, um, you know, going to New Orleans and interviewing with, uh, I think I had three interviews off of that, off of that opportunity. And, and Lakewood not only was what I thought was going to be the best opportunity for me because it was a commitment that I would go then early January and, uh, get a chance to call a ton of innings, but also then round out a resume with marketing and promotion and media relations experience and, and gain even more experience writing. So, you know, I took that opportunity and little did I know the the guy that was hiring me was also interviewing for another AAA job. And I thought, my God, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. You get into a ball and you, know, you apply for these other jobs. And you just kind of work your way up the ladder, just like the players. Right. Like, oh, this would be great. Yeah. So, right. Per, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That was, that was the springboard, you know, Neil Solance offered me an opportunity and we'll talk more about that. I'm sure. And mm-hmm. just a little bit, but, uh, but, you know, Neil, Neil gave me this opportunity, and, and that was the beginning of December. And by the end of that month, uh, I packed a Chevy Malibu, and I drove to the Jersey Shore. There you go. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so Lakewood, you know, Class A baseball, the minor league season goes from, like, May to September, right? So May 2004 is your first call of the Lakewood Blue Claws, right? Is that, uh, a is little that- early. A little earlier than that, it, um, minor league baseball will start uh, again. You know, BC before COVID. Um, <laughs> minor league baseball starts at the beginning of April in most cases for all the leagues, and it's uh, between depending on the league, it's 140 to 144 right, games. Okay, they play they play yeah. mid April and then end in September. I, I, I'm I for some reason thought they started later too. I mean, they do start later than MLB, but not that much later, I guess. So yeah, I got, I yeah, got my it's timeline just, it's up. It's just confused. a couple of weeks. Yeah. This is just my, yeah. a long way to say your first broadcast as a professional broadcaster, take me through the emotions of like walking into the press box that day, knowing that you are 
the class A voice of the Blue Claws. Uh, what was that like? Um, it was a very any opening day is absolutely bananas. Um, that is <laughs> one thing that that stays constant. Um, in, in that particular day, in April of 2004, I think we pulled tarp maybe three or four times. <laughs> um, that includes somebody screaming on a radio, and you race through the stands, and you go down to the field, and you roll out the tarp, which people in baseball, if you don't know, if you're a member, of, especially in the minor leagues, of the front office, you know, tarp duty is your duty. So <laughs> if a pop-up shower comes off the shore, you got to race through the stands because the groundskeeper's screaming, tarp, tarp, tarp. <laughs> you know, and you're, you're running out of the office with, you know, 15 of your colleagues, uh, and, you're, and you hope it's not raining <laughs> by the time you get to the tarp because then it gets really messy. Uh, but we rolled tarp a couple of times that day. Uh, I was dealing with a ton of radio stations out in front of the ballpark doing live remotes and that kind of stuff. And if it was if it was a six o'clock first pitch, let's say, I think I was getting my lineup in the book around five forty-five, <laughs> uh, which is it, which is a terrible process. But it goes to the frantic pace of a day, and uh, you know I was trying to, you know, I think I got all the equipment set up, you know, as it was to be set up, and I remember talking on the phone with Neil, you know, in the days leading up to that, going over, you know, step by step, how do I dial in and all this other stuff. But um, I, I don't know that I had any emotions. I think I was just happy to sit down <laughs> and, and, and look at a scorecard and try to fill that in. Some of those scorecards I still have. But, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. When you think back to just how different my day was. And, you know, my second opening day was a lot smoother than my first. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, the third was better than the second. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there is no greater feeling than uh, welcoming people to, to baseball period, mm-hmm. a baseball game period on an opening day. That's, that's one of my great joys. <laughs> so you were at Lakewood for three years. Uh, they were the Phillies class, class A team. Um, and then you obviously spent uh, more than a decade with the Buffalo Bison, which is the Blue Jays AAA affiliate. So... You were able to obviously see a lot of young talent come through there. I'm not sure uh, in your in your run with Lakewood, did you see potentially, I think Ryan Howard might have been there. Was he there about that point? Or Chase Utley or Jimmy Rollins, any of those guys? Because I know they were about to come up and, and win a World Series there. Yeah, well, I just missed Jimmy Rollins, and I just missed uh, Chase Utley was a couple of years ahead of that, you know, diving into the major league life. They were on the brink. In fact, when I was in Lakewood, when I was in Lakewood, Ryan Howard became the first Blue Claws player to make it to the major leagues. Um, and, you know, that was, that was a situation where he basically hit himself out of AAA and forced the Phillies to do something with Jim Tomey. So that was, <laughs> right. that was a big deal in Lakewood life. That was a big deal in, in, the, in the Philly market. We were about 90 minutes away from Philly. And we were an hour away from New York City. It was a great – Ocean County was an incredible place to live for a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but you get a little – you got a lot of crisscross in that, in that tri-state area, Philly fans, New York Yankee Met fans, obviously, and you're only a couple hours away from Washington and, and Baltimore. So a really cool place to live in a melting pot of fandom. Um, but, you know, t- t- for the Blue Claws, they owned Ryan Howard, and, and that was a really cool moment to be a part of. So – as Ryan Howard was bursting on the scene, Cole Hamels, Gavin Floyd, they were big pitching prospects, and obviously Hamels has gone on to have a, an amazing career right. uh, pitching in the, in the major leagues. I didn't get to cover those guys day in and day out. Uh, some of the guys in the three years that I was there, 
included Michael Bourne, outfielder with tremendous mm-hmm. success, uh, later on through Cleveland and then Houston. Yeah. Um, you know, Lou Marson was a catcher. Jason Jaramillo caught for a little bit in the big leagues. Um, I'm trying to go around the diamond with a lot of those teams, <laughs> especially that championship team. Yeah. But, but the, big, the big pieces of those Blue Claws teams were the pitching. And Josh Altman had a run out west with the Oakland Athletics, a uh, little left-hander. He was really good. Matt Maloney, who had uh, his best success with the Cincinnati Reds, big lefty, he was really good on that team. Uh, but the number one guy is Carlos Carrasco, yeah. who was just 18 years of age and bursting onto the scene, um, not only in the prospect rankings, but there was a point in that season where it really clicked for him at 18. And, <laughs> uh, you know, Carlos, Carlos was part of the deal when he got traded, um, and he goes to Cleveland, and, you know, he starts to, to work himself up um, up the pitching ranks. He actually he stayed in the stayed in the system a little bit with the Phillies, you know. But uh, this, this goes back. You never really, if you work in sports, you never really are a fan of a team once you get immersed in this because players and front office executives and all these people come and go. You you really root for the people that are involved and the people that you connect with, just like in everyday life. Those are the people that you really pull for. So, um, you know, I'm watching the World Series right now, and I'm thinking about the people that that I've come to love and my experience at Chavez Ravine last summer and how awesome that was to call games at Dodger Stadium. And I'm thinking about, you know, the void that's left in, in every broadcaster and fan for not calling a World Series game at Dodger Stadium this year. Right. But I'm thinking about all the people that I that I know. I mean, we play the Rays 19 times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to know everybody, <laughs> the broadcasters, the security guy at the desk, you know, walking into the press box. Like, these are people, hey, Steve, how are you doing? Oh, good to see you again, Ben. You know, like one of those things. Like, right. They just become part of your daily process anytime you go to St. Pete. Um, you know, so it's, you know, you root for those people, and Carlos Carrasco is still somebody that is, is one of those people, and trust me when I say this, he is the most genuine individual that I've come across in the game. And um, for, for him to remember me and, and, you know, I walk across the field in Cleveland and he goes, Lakewood Blue Claws. It was just this <laughs> incredible moment. Like, we're standing there in Cleveland. I'm like, this guy was pitching in the World Series a year ago, and this guy's <laughs> tripping me about Lakewood. Uh, so, uh, yeah. You know, that, so, yeah, there were, there were really a lot of fun players to go through the South Atlantic League, and all these guys are bursting on the scene, right? They're, they're 18, 19, 22 years of age, mm-hmm. and in A-ball, everybody thinks they're going to the big leagues. Right. Um, and that's right. where – yeah, and that's where getting to, to Buffalo was such another learning experience for me in not only the relationships that are there, the higher level, the elevated state of play, um, but you really learn a lot about the business side of things because there's guys that are coming and going through the system that are you know, just on the cusp of maybe making it to the major leagues, let alone getting to the big leagues and sticking. But then you've also got this pocket of players that are clinging to the final stages of their playing career, whether they're coming back from injury, whether they're trying to find it, whatever it is, mm-hmm. they're trying to find it again, or, you know, they're six year free agents and they're, they're hoping for an opportunity to make it to the major leagues. And um, there's, you know, there's hundreds of those guys too. And that was a really, really big learning experience for me. Not only that being in Buffalo for 12 seasons, 12 seasons, 11 seasons, something like that. Um, yeah, you know, 
you, you know what, what is you, yeah. you said you're not good at games. math so you know that's fine yeah. <laughs> not gonna count <laughs> there you go. yeah i'm bad at calendars too mm-hmm. um we get and in buffalo i had three different affiliates i had cleveland I had four years with the New York Mets, and then since 2013, Buffalo has been affiliated with the Toronto Blue Jays. And that, that gives you another mix of individuals that, you know, not only are coaches and trainers and, and strength and conditioning coaches, but front office people that cycle through, that gives you relationships that, you know, you have to foster and resources eventually. You know, if you've, if you've got questions about a guy or for the broadcast or just because, you know, if you're in charge of hammering out the media guide, you know, you mm-hmm. can call a scout, you can call a farm director and get maybe some insight to help your, uh, to help your organization, you know, produce something better um, or give a storyline to a local newspaper. Mm-hmm. All those things, you, you know, really, really matter. And obviously for me, my focus, once I got to Buffalo was trying to get to the big leagues. Um, right. You know, I was really fortunate <laughs> just in three years, I get a triple-A opportunity in a really good market. Like Buffalo is a great sports market, and they have amazing ownership in Buffalo, and they, they really put a lot of interest and time to invest into their broadcasts. And, um, you know, that was, that was big for me. And I thought, well, if we're going to try to make this sound as major league as we can, we might as well try to get to the major leagues while we're here. So, <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, you know, and yeah. yeah. You, uh, you, you spent some time in AAA. You, you tried to find it, of course, um, <laughs> and you, you finally did, I guess. Uh, so, obviously, uh, I was kind of reading a little bit about how you got up to the actual Blue Jays team. Um, take me kind of through that process because, you know, you had to step in for a legend there and Jerry Ho- Ho- Horath. Am I saying that right? Howarth. Howarth. Yeah, Howarth. Jerry Howarth. Um, you know, t- take me through that process because that was pretty late like all things considered late, like into the spring training of 2018. Is that correct? Yeah, it was, it's definitely late in the baseball calendar um, in terms of when you were hoping things like this could be accomplished. Um, But even before I got an opportunity with the Toronto Blue Jays, um, you know, there were a couple of, of significant setbacks and opportunities where you thought you sounded good enough. You go through the process of interviewing and you fall a little bit short. And Mm -hmm. those were really, really big obstacles for me to overcome, you know? Um, And, you know, and the people behind the scenes for me, you know, that are right there and they hurt just as much as you do, you know, Mm -hmm. when you don't, when you fall short of ultimately my professional goal. And that right. was to get a major league job. And, you know, we were, were, we were really close a couple of times. And, again, I'm really fortunate. And looking back, uh, I learned just like everything I feel like I learned something from. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn about all those processes and, and that made the opportunity with Toronto that, that much sweeter. Um, so 2013, we had an opportunity to strike up a relationship with Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, which is the flagship station for the Blue Jays. And they, they said, hey, listen, we could do Blue Jay broadcasts on days that the, the Blue Jays, or we could do Buffalo broadcasts on our flagship on days that the Blue Jays aren't playing. And that's awesome. Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah, I sweet. I have my voice in Toronto. That's uh-huh. awesome. Um, so they were, they were on board with that and the prospect pool at the time 
included Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, uh, you know, Anthony Ghost. They had Kevin Pillar just kind of like scratching at the door, you know, trying to get into the big league. So the prospect pool was significant enough that the names that we were talking about and the stories we were trying to tell on the air would also resonate with Blue Jay fans and sports fans listening in Toronto. So it was a perfect marriage. And I'm no dummy. You know, from 2013 <laughs> through 2017, every time that I was on that radio station, um, somebody, somebody of influence was going to be listening at the same time. So I, I think I did a good job, you know, from start to finish <laughs> in that relationship. Uh, one, massaging it as a professional, just trying to make sure those things happen. But also then, again, my priority was to make the broadcast sound major league. So we were trying to do that. Mm-hmm. We were trying to do that as much as possible. I'll never forget the first time we were on the fan uh, in, in Toronto. And again, like Blue Jays had to have an off day and we had to be out of the hockey schedule, right? So um, mm-hmm. now we're talking mid-June, late June. Our first broadcast was going to be a road game and we were going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina is a great city. And right now, the ballpark that is in downtown Charlotte is this hive of activity. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. The old ballpark was none of that. It was <laughs> out in the hills. It was, on, it was like in the middle of woods. Uh, you could hear crickets chirping in the background most of the day. In, and you were actually in South Carolina. It was over the state line where mm-hmm. the Charlotte Knights played, mm-hmm. which is also difficult to, to explain to people. But, <laughs> Charlotte but here Knights, we are. Live, live from yeah. Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically. Um, so, yeah, Fort Mill. Yeah Fort, yeah, Fort Mill, South Carolina. It's just over the border. Unbelievable. Um, so the ballpark is there. It's desolate. And I'm fired up. You know, we hit the air. Toronto Blue Jays triple-A baseball is on the air. You know, when we're doing this and we're doing the game, and, like, there is nobody. I mean nobody in the stands. But it's <laughs> baseball, right? It should have this intimate sound where right. the game breathes. But any time that you would take a breath and pause for a moment, in radio they have these things called silence alarms. The silence alarm is to alert engineers, people at the studio, if the station drops off the air because oh. the silence alarm senses <laughs> – that there's no audio, there's no conversation, right. there's nothing. Yeah. It was so quiet in the background <laughs> in Charlotte, North Carolina, that the silence alarm started to go off in the background oh. of our first broadcast. Oh. And that's tough. I get a call, you know, you guys got to talk more, you know, because the silence alarm's going off. I'm like, oh my god, you know, I'm gonna. I, you know, I thought we failed for <laughs> our first our first game out of the game. You, I'm, you've had, I'm pleading. You've had a couple of memorable yeah. first experiences here. Opening day, this first experience on the fan. I mean, oh, how have yeah. you survived? Honestly, I, that's a that's a make or break <laughs> moment there, right there. I feel like in your life, it's yeah. like, am I, am I, is yeah. this really worth it? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking, like, oh my God, please tell me the the president of Sportsnet isn't listening to this and picking up the phone saying we're never doing this again. Because yeah, <laughs> that was like the first of sixteen broadcasts, right? Uh, that we were going to have on Sportsnet five ninety and. And, and, you know, like I said, all those names were like prospects and, and position players and pitchers that Blue Jay fans were so excited about seeing and hearing about. I'm thinking like, oh, my God, they're going to pull the plug after our first go around here. <laughs> uh, thankfully, thankfully, uh, nobody pulled the plug. We got over the hurdle of the, uh, 
the whole the whole uh, silence alarm issue, mm-hmm. and like our next broadcast was a was like a Saturday night in Buffalo with fifteen thousand people in the background, and right. it sounded majorly, you know. So we yeah. rebounded very quickly out of that, and I <laughs> and I promised the, the the people at the fan, uh, Dave Cadeau, who is uh, my direct boss right now, along with Jason Rosan, who oversees our network. Uh, th- those two guys were part of that for and for us to look back at. Now, seven years ago, and share those stories is pretty fun. Um, you know, mm-hmm. thinking back of actually where that started. And, and it was like that every year, like 14, 15, 16, 17. For me, we were doing 10-plus Bison games on the fan. And I was sitting on the couch in September of 2017. I get a text message from Jason Rosan. He goes, hey, do you have a minute? And it was like at 7.30 on like a, a Tuesday night. Uh, <laughs> and our season had just ended. Uh, minor League Baseball ends on Labor Day. So, mm-hmm. you know, like Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, I get a text. He goes, hey, you know, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have, you know, some guys take some time off. I was wondering if you would be interested in, uh, in coming up and perhaps being part of the broadcast. And, like, I'm looking at my phone, and I have this out-of-body experience for like a split second, I'm thinking like I'll crawl up to QEW to be part of a major league broadcast because at that point, to that point, I had interviewed for major league jobs. I had actually done some audition work um, in spring training of 2009, 2010 um, with, uh, with another major league opportunity, but I never called an actual uh, regular season game. And, uh, you know, it's a series against the Kansas City Royals. It was at the end of September, and the Blue Jays weren't going uh, anywhere that year. <laughs> and they said, you know, would you come up and, and do this? And I said, absolutely. So, um, I mean, that was the first kind of step step forward for me uh, to get a major break, a major break. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's you know, it's a major league game. It's, it's a stadium with 40,000 people in it. Well, those games that we were playing and um and I was working with two two guys that just I think the world of and Joe Siddle and Jerry Howarth. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Jerry Jerry's a legend, you know. I mean he was the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays since the early eighties, working right. with Tom Cheek all the way until the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Tom Cheek obviously gets sick, passes away, Jerry takes the number one chair and um you know, the the most enjoyable pocket of time on the broadcast with Jerry is when he was working with Joe Siddle and <laughs> I will be forever indebted to those two guys for the opportunity and the support. And in, in those three days, the, the fact that they made those broadcasts about me and, you know, looking back, looking back at that, um, and one to just relax. One, they had to relax. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was one pretty tight. Um, <laughs> but but you know, like Jerry got it. Jerry was Jerry did minor league games and and got a major league break. And Joe was, you know, he was never going to be you know one of the first guys that that slotted on a major league roster. He had to fight his way for every professional baseball experience that he got. And he's one of the game's great analysts. And and. Uh, and it showed, you know, very early in that opportunity. And he was, he, he brought his A game for me. And that helped me in, you know, broadcasting those couple of games. And I've, you know, I've listened to that reel, uh, seems like dozens of times, you know, from those, from those moments. Um, and, and for me, that was, 
not only uh, the realization that, that somebody's dream could come true, um, but it was also an opportunity for my my future bosses to hear what Ben Wagner sounded like <laughs> calling Major League Baseball. And, right. and, you know, and at that time, Jerry had a couple of health setbacks and, you know, was battling a couple of things. And he went into that offseason and, you know, he tried to give it a go. And I remember swapping notes with him and, in early February, and I wished him well, safe travels down to Florida. I looked forward to seeing him in the, at the end of March when I was scheduled to go down. And he said, yep, really looking forward to it. See you, you know, in a few weeks. And in just a short pocket of time, he tried to do some some mock broadcasts. And, his, you know, he just didn't feel like his voice was going to be strong enough to get him through a year. And it was at that point where, in Jerry's mind, he didn't want to cut back and do some of the games. He wanted to do all the games the way that he has always done games and broadcasts. And if he couldn't do that, he wasn't going to do that. And he made the decision then, um, you know, and in that, in that pocket of time where he was just going to step aside and retire. And that was on a Tuesday morning. And uh, <laughs> uh, I listened to the announcement live on, on the radio, and I fired off an email right away, and I said, I don't know what the situation is and if you've got a plan, but if you don't have a plan and you need some help, I would love to be part of of whatever happens in the next couple of weeks uh, to help you get, you know, spring training games on the air because spring training was almost ready to begin. They needed help covering the broadcasts more than anything. Um, and I, and I told the guys again, I had a great relationship now. What was it? Five, six years in the making. Um, you know, I said, you know, if I can have my hat in the ring, but if I can help you in any way possible, please let me know. And that was a Tuesday morning. Uh, and uh, on that Thursday, yeah, that was, a th and then on Thursday, I got a call about coming up to interview. I said, yes, I will <laughs> love that opportunity. So I went to, went to the corporate studios and had a couple of meetings. And that was in the early afternoon. And by the time I drove back to Buffalo, I, I mean, I was pulling in the driveway, I put the car in park, and the phone rang, and it, it was Jason Rosan, and he said, hey, really good job today, really enjoyed talking with you, uh, we got to know you a little bit more, uh, Dave Cadeau got to know you a little bit more, we're not sure what's going to happen or what the timeline is going to happen, but you're part of the conversation, can you go to spring training? I said, yes, we can go to spring training. He goes, okay. Um, we are going to send you to Florida with a one-way ticket. Good luck. You leave on Monday. <laughs> wow. And yeah, and um, you know, it was it was one of those it was one of those kind of funny moments, um, you know, where you're calling people behind the scenes that they're in the loop in your support network, and um, you know, I, I, I said I said the next flight I that I want to take is is on the team charter to Montreal for exhibition games. I want to stay in Florida the entire duration, six weeks, and the next flight that I want, uh, I don't want a ticket for because I want to step onto a major league charter. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a wild, wild, wild spring training for me and kind of this, this voyage that was mm -hmm. out there. Um, and it, it really, <laughs> I, had, I had a pretty good indication because, you know, they never sent me home that I, <laughs> that I was going to perhaps get a job in some, in some, I would have a role. I don't know that I was going to get the job, but I was going to have a role. Mm -hmm. And eventually, 
at the tail end of spring training, you know, the going into the final week of spring training, uh, they called and offered me the job. It's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, yeah. So you got to you got the job. This is obviously a lot of years of hard work paying off, um, and you're. In your 36th game as the official voice of the Blue Jays, I actually just looked it up, um, James Paxton of the Seattle Mariners throws a no-hitter against the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, you know, obviously calling a no-hitter is something people in this profession always look forward to potentially getting the chance to do, but you never know when it's going to happen, obviously. Uh, it just, uh, what do you remember from that night? And obviously he's a Canadian throwing a no-hitter on Canadian soil. Um just had to have been a very surreal moment, even though it was going against the Blue Jays. Yeah, so um, it, a lot of hype going into that start. And, and as you were teeing that up, I was thinking not only James Paxton of Seattle at, at the time, but Ladner BC's own James Paxton. Yeah. Who, um, you know, when you're in the Pacific Northwest, um, where you get over the Canadian slash Colorado Rockies, you, you know, it's there are a couple of guys that the baseball fans out West always – track and um our network is countrywide i mean it goes from vancouver all the way to halifax uh you can get blue jays baseball on the radio so mm-hmm. anytime that there's a canadian in the major leagues that's doing something successful it'll have ripple effects so paxton comes back a rare start for him on canadian soil let alone the dominance that he had that night and oh by the way like you said i'm 36 games into my major league career <laughs> and this is kind of unfolding um yeah and, and and earlier i don't know in the first few innings you know that you had a feel that this guy was going to dominate that night um but there was a diving stop over the line at third base that that you could always go back and point to and say mm-hmm. that's the play that's right. the play that kind of jump started the rest of the night and i remember saying it to mike um at that time, too, I said, you know, Mike, that might be a special play in the remainder of this game, depending on how things go. And in the minor leagues, when things were on the line, I always take the approach of I have to be honest with the listeners and I need to tell them the whole story. And that's why I, have, I am always of the belief that if there is a no-hitter that is developing, uh, I want people to continue to tune in. So I'm going to say, you know, this guy has not allowed a hit tonight or – there's been a couple of close calls, but still a zero in the hit column. Like I'm going to dress it up as, as however <laughs> I can differently uh-huh. uh, to continue to try to hook listeners and viewers into what we're doing on TV and radio for the Blue Jays. Uh, and I think that's a significant part of it. And here I'm like making these decisions, and I, I'm like I'm this neophyte <laughs> on the air. <laughs> um, and, and and you know it it goes it goes on and on and on and. In the seventh, the eighth, and then the ninth, and again, like I, I believe that almost everybody in the ballpark, going to the ballpark that night, knew a Canadian was going to pitch for Seattle. By the end of the game, I am certain everybody in the ballpark that night knew the hometown of James Paxton. Mm-hmm. And you, <laughs> you felt the crowd kind of turn in favor of the Canadian that was dominating their favorite team. <laughs> um, Crazy. And, and that, yeah. And, and that feeling alone allowed me to, to have a little bit more genuine uh, excitement for the call. Um, and without the crowd turning that way, uh, you know, I, I can tell you, I probably would not have lived in that moment the way that I lived in that moment. Um, 
and and because I knew, you know, it's a Canadian broadcast. People in Canada across the country are listening to it. And it was the storyline of that night. Ladner BC's own is going to the bound to pitch on Canadian soil. And he'd only done it a handful of times in his career. And now here he is having an opportunity to do it in historic fashion. And he did it. And, you know, it's a, it's a moment that I wanted to live on the highlight reel for baseball in Canada and uh, for James Paxton specifically. And, um, you know, I try to do it. It's justice. And I'll, I'll, after the final out was recorded, we go to break. Chris LaRue, who um, is from the greater Toronto area and pitched in the major leagues with the Yankees and the Pirates and a handful of teams along the way, uh, and he was one of our analysts. <clears throat> he's grabbing my shoulders and he's shaking me, uh, you know, because he was so excited because he knows all these guys, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it's a small fraternity of major league players in, in Canada. They all know each other. Um, and he goes, you did it. You just called your first hitter. I'm like, thanks, Chris. I'm well aware. And he goes, did you? Did you say what you wanted to say? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean what I want to say? I said, I just, I just, I hope I did the moment justice. And he goes, it's going to live forever. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Like it, it, it becomes those moments. Like mm-hmm. you, you just look back and that was, um, that was probably the second, oh my moment. Um, because, uh, I mean, we talked about opening day, right? Mm-hmm. And the Blue Jays opened that season at Rogers center. And, uh, I, Again, opening days are nuts, but uh, for me, it was extremely emotional. But then Mike Wilner took a picture and had a little bit of uh, video to go along with it. Who I, you know, Mike's obviously part of our broadcast now. We do the games together, and Mike was in the booth that night in his chair, and he leaned forward and like he he snapped a picture of me calling the first pitch, and he put it into words that I just never thought about until after seeing that moment. And him telling me, he goes, you're the third person ever to call a first pitch on opening day in Blue Jays history, going back to 1977. And I'm like, I like, wow. it, had to, I had to, it had to sit in for a moment. <laughs> like, it just, I'm like, well, Tom Cheek did it from 1977 all the way, I think, until 2004 was his last opening day, maybe mm-hmm. 2003. Um, and then from then on, it was Jerry, obviously, calling the first pitch of every opening day since. And uh, well, they're not here anymore, so it has to be you, Ben. Uh, so <laughs> you by default. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was like one of those like oh my gosh moments, and then the no hitter was another oh my gosh moment within mm-hmm. the first month uh, right. being part of this thing, and then it was away we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this past year for the Blue Jays, uh, they're they're kind of an interesting team. I feel like uh, when you look at them from the outside, at least from my perspective, you got a lot of young players coming up. Uh, obviously, everyone's kid is on the team. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichetti, all on that team. Uh, first off, I got to ask. You know, you are you are young enough still to where you kind of grew up watching like Vlad Guerrero Sr. and Craig Biggio. Is it weird calling their kids? I, I saw Dante Bichette hit a triple <laughs> at Coors Field in Colorado when I went out there with Dan Patterson, who was my high school buddy. Uh-huh. And I, I think I don't think we could drive yet. Maybe we were just on the cusp <laughs> of turning six. Dan and I have uh, – Dan was a 1999 Fairfield grad too, and mm-hmm. I think we were going into our sophomore year of high school, and we went out to Colorado and to spend some time with his with his grandpa and grandma in, in this unbelievable place in Teller County where they, they have their home now. 
Uh, and he said, hey, man, you want to take a, a summer trip with me? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, hey, we're going to go to a couple of ball games too. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Uh, not only was I think it was the first time I was ever in an airplane too. Uh, flew out to Denver, went to a couple of Rockies games, and Dante Bichette was one of the guys that uh, had a big moment in one of those games as he scampered around and hit a triple. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, really awesome moment when watching it happen and um, and seeing it happen live. Maybe it was '97. I can't remember. Um, anyway, <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, so you know, we watched that and then fast forward. I get to spring training this year and Dante's behind the cage, you know, cause he's <laughs> so hands-on and, and had a bigger role with the blue Jays and this lineage that we've got uh, of, of players. And for the first time in major league history, the blue Jays pulled out a starting lineup where all four infielders were products of major league fathers. Uh, you had Travis Shaw at mm-hmm. third base. You had Bo Bichette at shortstop. You had Kevin Biggio at second and Vladimir Guerrero jr. Over at first base. So, uh, watching their fathers have incredible major league careers, uh, especially the big three, uh, the blue jeans, if you will, uh, for the blue Jays, right. it, it's, it's, it's really something. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be, I guess, around the game that long. And uh, I've had other veteran broadcasters, you know, that have been calling major league games for 25, 30 plus years also say, yeah, it's, it's really a moment where in your career you start to see the sons of guys that you started to call in Major League Baseball have their sons come up. Um, you know, so that's when you really feel old, Ben. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, so like I've got, I've got John Sterling, who's the ra- longtime radio voice of the New York Yankees, and he goes, like, oh, just wait. <laughs> you know, so um, as cool as it is for me, um, sometimes it's a little bit sobering for other people, but it's, uh, it's definitely – the foundation of hopefully future success mm-hmm. for a franchise as we know when it gets rocking. I mean, it's, it's full throttle in one mm-hmm. of the best markets in North America to be, to be associated with any sport, let alone major league baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously this year, <laughs> this year, right. Uh, the weirdest year, um, the most <laughs> to say the least, uh, Baseball obviously was thrown off for a loop, and uh, they, you know they they added eight teams to the playoffs this year. Blue Jays make the playoffs as the eight seed. They lose to Tampa in the first round. Obviously, Tampa, very good team. They're you know currently playing in the World Series, um, and you know for you personally, you got to call the season, the first Blue Jays postseason, I think in five years or so, give or take, I believe, uh, 2015, if my memory Four. serves, 24, 16 was the last year they went, yes, they, yeah. they played the Indians in the first round, um, but anyway, like, obviously, you could, you, you, given the pandemic, were in a studio in Toronto, I, we, we finally came back to that, um, took us a while, but we finally came back to the opening question, um, you were in a studio all, all season calling it in Toronto, um, was it weird to call a postseason? I mean, this is your first postseason MLB game, and it, and you're in Toronto as the Toronto Blue Jays are in Tampa, you know, playing and playing 2,000 miles away. Was that strange at all, or just because the year had been strange to begin with, it didn't even feel weird? Yeah, it sucked. Uh, <laughs> um, and you know, I say that jokingly, and I say it for some laughs, but. I, I had an opportunity in 2015 and 2016 to be a Rogers Center for some of those playoff games, just, you know, appearing as a fan, first and foremost. And I know the energy and the electricity that that team can create. Uh, 
in Toronto and again, the, the far reaches of fandom. Um, and that even though the whole season was so funky um, and, you know, we tried to, we tried to make the broadcast as seamless as possible for anybody that was, you know, putting in earbuds or listening to it on a speaker or had it on in the house. We tried to make it as, as seamless where people didn't realize that we were in a downtown Toronto studio calling these games while the team was playing in Miami or wherever. Um, I, it's definitely not how I envisioned ever calling my first Blue Jays postseason game. Um, you know, the, of, of all the ironies of 2020, the fact that every major league reel that I produced in Buffalo came out of that broadcast booth in downtown Buffalo where the Blue Jays would eventually play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Blue Jays have an opportunity to play in a ballpark that I was so intimately familiar with um, <laughs> in the course of the regular season. Oh, I can't go. Right. Um, and they have – uh, you know, a surprising season where they finished above 500, and that's where I thought kind of the Blue Jays would have if they were successful. Then they get to go to Tampa to play their first playoff game in four years, which is also about 25 minutes from where I live. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> can't go to so, that either. <laughs> yeah, I can't go to that either. And now, oh, oh, by the way, they're you know they're they're kind of diving into this whole postseason thing, um, you know, and 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 you're still not able to be so closely connected to it and. Um, you know, as cool as it was and as exciting as it is, it is really exciting. Uh, I just felt like there was a massive void for, for a lot of people associated with the ball club, you know, that really couldn't enjoy it as you are to, to enjoy these experiences. And, um, you know, just looking back and that's a personal opinion for me. Um, and again, on the broadcast, I think we all season long, we did a really good job of trying to make it as uh, seamless as possible for anybody that wanted the escape to listen to just a ball game on the radio or, you know, find out about their favorite player or their, you know, their, their favorite team along the way. Uh, but yeah, you know, back to that original question, did you ever envision doing it like this? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, and I, I wish we would have seen some of, some of baseball live. Um, and, you know, some teams did things differently and some teams did things, uh, you very uniquely, and in the postseason, you know the Rays, the Rays who got to watch all of their home games live in front of them, you know, jumped into the pseudo bubble in San Diego, where their broadcast crew is out west, and now all three guys are in Arlington for the the World Series, and mm-hmm. um, you know I'm really I'm really happy for them, and it's no surprise that the Tampa Bay Rays are there, but um, you know for even though it was a relatively quick exit for the Blue Jays. Uh, it was definitely a very unique experience. It was, ah, I mean, it's, it's one for the ages. Um, right. You're always going to remember and, it. it your first, and it comes back to your first. Your firsts of everything are just incredible. <laughs> yeah, they're just really unique, you know. <laughs> You've had an incredible, um, you start off with a bang, let me tell you that, and then it just goes oh from there. God. So, uh, you know, yeah. the, the Blue Jays team is a really interesting team. We kind of talked a little bit about that. Um you know, do you think that playoff experience will help them uh, for 2021? They feel like a team that you know could benefit, even though they've lost 2-0. Uh, they could feel like a team that could benefit from having that those two games of experience, you know, to really catapult them, maybe even accelerate the timeline here for the Blue Jays' kind of resurgence. Yeah, I, I think it will, especially with the core group of guys, um, and and even some of the guys that not necessarily were impact in the playoffs or, you know, down the stretch, there were some guys that were really successful at the beginning of the year 
that I think learned a lot about themselves and the pressure of pitching and, and performing at the major league level uh, that are going to learn from that and look back at how they were running on fumes down the stretch. So they realize the intensity as those games really start to matter. Mathematically, looking at it, the Blue Jays were going to really have to mess up the final two weeks of the regular season. But <laughs> even, even though they, they, kind of, they didn't back their way in, they didn't play as good uh, the last couple of weeks of the regular season as what they had been playing at the start of the month, and they had a number of injuries to, to overcome. And the adversity that they always had to overcome from losing Bo to losing Rowdy to Les – uh, then Teoscar Hernandez, you know, goes down on injury, and he was he was going to get MVP votes, and still might get a handful of MVP votes in the American League, uh, the way that he was performing. Um, but you lost those like three key guys at some point in the home stretch here, and Teoscar gets back on the field. But again, it's like those learning experiences, like oh oh, we just lost a guy that's been hitting. Um, you know, 450 over the last <laughs> two weeks. All right, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? The versatility of how Charlie Montoya can roll out the defense. Like, all those things are going to be tucked away somewhere as part of this learning experience from the front office to the coaches' staff, um, people in baseball operations to the actual players themselves that have to go out there and, and do it. And And now at least a little bit, You've got a taste of what it's like, the pressure that's there with every at-bat, fans or no fans, um, the pressures that go along with it, and the fact that they were able to overcome a lot of adversity along the way and stay resilient enough to kind of clear these certain hurdles and still have a lot of success. So without a doubt, this is going to have ripple effects in years to come with uh, the players that are there, part of it, and hopefully part of where they're going in the future, plus then everybody else that's going to be associated with it uh, in the next, hopefully, you know, it's a good run over the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. You, you have obviously now been associated with this franchise for nearly a decade or so since they became the AAA affiliate, uh, for Buffalo in 2013, like you mentioned, um, you know, you have obviously, this is your first professional job, uh, first major league job, obviously professional baseball, you know, still class A and and AAA. Um, I guess my question kind of is, uh, you know, any other goals that you want to achieve in your career? Um, I mean, like, as you're, like, broadcasting for, like, the Cubs or something, is that, like, a dream or, you know, one of those types of teams? Or, you know, you're pretty happy where you're at right now and you don't want to uh, give the Blue Jays any uh, different thoughts otherwise about that. <laughs> you, you can no comment hey, this one if you'd like. <laughs> no, I'm going to be very, very forward. I mean, I have said, I've said for a long time I, I feel like, uh, I work in the playground of life, <laughs> um, and that goes all the way back to, to my first my first year in 2004. You know, where I'm fortunate enough to work in uh, professional baseball, let alone the experiences I've had in TV and radio covering college basketball and college football along the way. Um, you know, doing unique and interesting things for you know studio shows and other things, and the experience that I had in Buffalo and why that was such just an incredible experience. But there is no greater joy that I have is I have it as, as of right now, you know, walking into a major league booth and getting a, a chance to sit down, put on a headset and call major league baseball for a living. That, that was my personal and professional goal for a decade plus. Um, I still feel like I won the lottery literally every day with this <laughs> opportunity. And, and that is, and the absolute truth. Uh, and the Toronto blue Jays who I had a seven year history, 
or you know, four or five year history, even before I got this opportunity. Um, there's no, there's no franchise that I feel more connected to. Uh, there is no, I mean, there's really no place in Northern America that, that I enjoy visiting more than I love the time back in Toronto. And I really thought I was going to live in Toronto for, I don't know, the first maybe eight months that I had this job. Uh, but then, you know, whatever life happens, right. And we can <laughs> make different decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love the uniqueness of the Toronto Blue Jays broadcasting experience. I love who I work with each and every day. Uh, I love going to work each and every day. And, and there is, I mean, there is absolutely no sense for me to even explore another opportunity, you know, to answer your original question, right. Being from the Midwest, I know a lot of people, you know, love the opportunity. Oh, I can get closer to home if, you know, I can land this job, that job or the other. Um, fortunately for me, you know, I get paid to go back home every year and <laughs> to, to play three or four games against the Chicago White Sox and mm-hmm. moms, dads, and in-laws, you know, they come to Chicago and it's, you know, a destination for them or we go to Cleveland or wherever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Detroit is obviously another one. So uh, I, I feel like I always have the benefit of, of getting back home and, and having these experiences shared with my mom, my dad, my brother, and, and others in our family. Um, you know, so I, I don't know that there's, I, I never feel a void. Let me put it that way in terms of where I'm at in my professional career. Um, so I'm, I'm living, I'm living my dream. I am, I am a product of chasing a dream and I'm telling you, I'm living my dream right now. And it wouldn't have been accomplished without the support of many people behind the scenes. But, um, you know, this, this is, this is my major league dream in the off season. I'd love to stay busy. You know, I'd love <laughs> to call college basketball and, yeah. and do some other things that may be hey. unique and challenging for me as a broadcaster. Well, the, uh, the Fairfield Falcons football team is nine and zero right now. They're playing uh, Fort Wayne Bishop lures on Friday. If you wanted to make the trek up from Florida <laughs> and, you know, get put dust off the headset, make a, make a comeback, uh, to the, the Northern. Hurdle, it still exists. I, that was, that was so tough for our sectional, even, Back when I was in high school, trying to get past Bishop Lures. Yeah, oh. well, the Falcons this year, like I, I told you earlier, they're nine and zero. They're uh, they're doing well this year. Lures is the record isn't that great, but they're they're still a pretty talented team. You know, they play a lot of higher up schools. So, yep, this is a uh, it's on Friday. And I'm just saying, you know, you could you could make the track up. You know, there's I, I'm sure someone <laughs> would be willing to take you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it, you know what? It, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. Like I really. I missed the opportunity to go back in Buffalo, um, you know, and call Major League Baseball there. That would have been awesome. Yeah. I had an opportunity to go back. Shortly after going to Buffalo, I had an opportunity to go back to Lakewood and and get connected with some of the people that, that are there. And still, I've got great friends on the Jersey Shore. That was, you know, that was really cool to be back at the ballpark and watch them in the postseason for, an op, you know, a couple of days. Uh, there would be there would be an an awesome factor associated with going back to Fairfield in some in some capacity, whether it's calling a basketball game, a football game, uh, going back to the Diamond, you know, you know where mm-hmm. uh, you know where I love playing baseball too for the Falcons. Um, but you know, uh, um, <laughs> I, I don't want to step on anybody else's toes. I don't know if they're doing the broadcast. My my, my people <laughs> will get in touch with your people. We'll figure out something. Yeah, so. 
Well, Ben, uh, I could have talked for another hour. This is it's already gone really longer, longer than I anticipated. But I, I love it. I, I could, like I said, I had so many other questions I could have asked. Um, but I do think I think I have to wrap it up here. Uh, really appreciate the time, Ben. Uh, really enjoyed talking with you. And good luck with everything in the future. And you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll be a Blue Jays fan now, just a little bit. You know, I'm 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 a Chicago Land kid, so I I grew up watching the Cubs and. And I'm still loyal to them, even when they don't hit the ball in the postseason. Um, but it's okay. Uh, so I will, I will, I will be pulling for the Blue Jays because of you now. So congratulations well, for that. Th- hey, that's that's the goal. Get one <laughs> fan per day. So if I've done my work today and got a new Blue Jay fan on board. You can you can clock out now. You can clock out yeah, and, and go back to watching Netflix or whatever people do in in the off season now. So. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Austin. It's really enjoyable conversation. I, and uh, I hope everybody that listens to your podcast kind of enjoyed the journey along the way. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, really appreciate the time, Ben. Um, thank you for coming on the Goshen News, Sports po- Goshen News Sports Podcast. Wow, that's a lot of words in a short time. So thank you, thank you for coming on. And once again, thank you to Ben for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, Awesome talk. We could have talked for more hours. I know Sheila didn't want to listen to all of that, though. We could have talked for another hour or so. (laughs) But uh, thank you again, guys, everyone, for tuning in to this week's edition of the Goshen News Sports Podcast. Uh, We should have another brand new episode for you next week. So keep on tuning in. Thanks. Thanks.